This is a HeadGum Podcast. This is why, this is why. Pop culture, politics, friendship, dating, work, parenting, news. This is why the podcast. Welcome to the This Is Why podcast. I'm journalist, author, and comedy writer, Laura Lane. And I'm author and editor, Angela Sparrow. We are the co-writers of the book, This Is Why You're Single. Every week we give best friend advice on topics including pop culture, news, friendship, dating, workplace dynamics, parenting, and whatever else is on your mind. This week's episode is called Surviving Postpartum. We will be answering your listener questions, including what to do when your partner doesn't want more kids and when to bring up kids when you're dating. Then we're talking about what's in the news, a summer baby boom, and a new Gerber baby. But first, we want to welcome this week's guest. She's a postpartum doula, parenting guide, baby sleep coach, and owner of the agency Happy Family After. Welcome to the show, Devin Clement. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I love the podcast. Thank you. We are so excited to have you on. So you, I I mean, I just love talking about postpartum. It's like become a huge passion of mine now having two kids. I want to help as many moms, future mamas to be because I feel like you spend so much time when you're pregnant talking about like oh my God, like cord clamping and like I the, my, make my playlist for the birth and like you, you focus so much on the birth and not so much on the postpartum and the healing, which is so important. So you are not my doula, but I used your agency to find my doula who is a goddess angel <laughs> from the heavens <laughs> named Sarah. Um, yeah, she's pretty amazing. She's so amazing. You told me she was going to be amazing. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm sure she's I'm sure she'll be fine. Like, you know, like I I had um I I you know, I I didn't know what to expect. It's like it's so hard like the, tr- the like to trust a new person coming into your your home after you have a baby, you're vulnerable, you're raw, and like you're handing over your newborn. And it was like instantly within 5 minutes, I was like, "Take my baby. I trust you with my life." <laughs> like she just had the aura. So, congrats to you on picking amazing people. So, wait, <laughs> for for the uninitiated like myself with no children, can you guys explain to people what I think a lot of people know what a doula is, but what is a postpartum doula? Oh, great yeah, question. So, yes, explain it. That's a good yeah. – we should start from there. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people think that, you know, postpartum only means depression or whatever. It doesn't. Postpartum means just the period after you have a baby. So if you postpartum depression, it's the depression after you have a baby. Postpartum doula is the doula you have after you have a baby. So a doula, a birth doula is someone who supports you during the labor and the delivery and um, it's just there for you. It's like your best friend that you never knew you needed who doesn't have her own problems. So when we come into a family that's just had a baby, we're there to help take care of the baby. If they're first-time parents, we're like teaching them a lot, answering their questions. If they're second-time parents, you know, we're mostly just taking care of the baby so they can take care of their bigger ones, spend time with them, get sleep. We do a lot of overnight care um, and pretty much, you know, helping you, you can talk about your feelings with us, whatever you want. We'll make you tea. We'll do your laundry. Um, and we're, and we're experts in baby care. So kind of all of those things. Um, I think, you know, it's the, the cliche, it takes a village. We are a big part of that village. Yeah. I mean, as, as somebody who's never had a baby and not sure I could handle it, uh, the thought of somebody just like giving me a baby and letting me go home with it. I I like, yeah, I feel like it would be terrifying. So I love the idea of having a support person that comes and stays with you. It's funny because yes. so my birth doula for my for my first son, uh, she did like a couple postpartum like visits, and it was like, oh my god, he's got so much gas. He's like crying all the time. So she taught me like you know like bicycles and like this kind of stuff. But it was like a couple hours here and there. And then I did have a separate postpartum doula that would like come and like help out with the baby. And then, you know, everything was so different this time with COVID. My doula couldn't be there for the C-section and I knew how awful the C-section was. I was like, I need a postpartum doula and like I wanted a baby nurse. And but like a postpartum doula, which I that like can also help with like the overnights and the baby is like all in one. And it was so amazing to have somebody that was not only helping the baby, but also helping me. And it was something kind of like you said, like you don't know you need it until you are, you have a baby and you're like helpless and you're trying to heal. You're also trying to take care of a person that needs you 24 seven. And it's, you, you need somebody that just like gets it all. And 
yeah, the one I, Sarah, it was just, she taught, like, I'm a second time mom. So you would think I wouldn't have as many questions, but I had so many questions and I still learned so much. And I'm sure moms that have, you know, three, four kids probably feel like they're still learning stuff after every kid. But yeah, it's, they, they, yeah, she would like bring me little snacks, like make sure I had water because you're breastfeeding, you need and like this is stuff I didn't know with my first kid, but with like the second, I was like, Nick, I need water everywhere, all around the house. I need water because <laughs> you're just so dehydrated when you're when you're breastfeeding. So, Devin, going back a little bit, I could talk about this forever, but tell me how you found your calling to becoming a doula and a parenting guide. What was what was your journey? Because the interesting part is you are single, you don't have kids, and I'm so curious, like how you realized that this was your passion. Yeah. So uh, it was actually a really organic journey. And the thing I say all the time is that if you asked me like when I was in college, you know, what's your plan? What's your career? What do you want to be? What are you majoring in? I never would have said this. But if you asked me when I was 12, if I, this was something I'd want to do, I would be like, yes, absolutely. So I've just always loved babies. I started babysitting when I was super young. Um, remember when people used to leave babies alone with like 12 and 13 year olds? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like babysitters, so like it's crazy. called babysitting. Yeah. Babysitters club. And- so, um, so I started doing that and I just kind of never stopped. So all through high school, college, like in the summers I would nanny And I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a job except that I wanted to be around kids. So I became a teacher, which is the pretty typical like path for that. And I didn't like, you know, working for the school system. Um, It really wasn't my passion to teach. And I was still like, you know, like I said, in the summer working as a nanny and stuff like that. So I quit my job and just kind of went back to nannying while I like found myself. You know, I had that quarter life crisis of what am I doing with my life? What is this? I'm still living in the town I grew up in. Like I need to do something different. So while I was doing that, I was like traveling. I was living in different places, like picking up jobs. And um, one of my clients actually said to me, she had baby twins and she had me helping her overnight because they weren't sleeping well. And I was kind of telling her about my experience and everything. And she said, you should become a postpartum doula, which I had heard of, but never really knew what it was. And I looked into it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the perfect job for me. I get to be around babies all the time. You get to be like a source of knowledge because at that point I had so much experience and I had like done a ton of research. I actually majored in um, like developmental psychology. So I knew a lot about like infant learning and uh, development and all these different things. Um, and as a postpartum doula, as Laura mentioned, you're really advising the parents, you're helping them figure out what works best for them. Like you're not just telling them what to do. And so, um, I, it was so funny because I, this was 2009. So like almost what, 12 years ago, I looked it up online and there was a training like the, the coming weekend. And there's not like, now there's a lot more, but back then they were not that frequent. So it was just like, oh my gosh, this yeah, is back then like it a was sign like... from the universe that it's the right thing for me to do. So I was at the training like five days later Wow! and then I was a postpartum doula and I never had any intentions of starting a business, but you know, the field really grew and I got really popular, which, you know, I was glad for, but it was like more work than I can handle. So I started bringing people on to work with me and now here we are, we're all over the tri-state area and uh, growing all the time. It is amazing that in 2009, you someone said like you should be a doula because I probably didn't hear about what a doula was until like long after I'd like moved to Brooklyn. And I think the first time I'd heard about it was it was like Domino Kirk. Like it was like in some like, you know, interview magazine thing. It was like, she's a doula. And everyone's like, what's a doula? Like that's so right. like yeah. crazy or, you know, like who needs a doula? Like you have your doctor and your husband, like what do you, or your partner, or your wife, like you don't need a a doula, but you need a doula. Um, like, yeah, my mom didn't understand it for a long time. And then one day she was just like, oh, you did what, you do what grandma did for me. Aww. I was like, yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, does not having kids and being single kind of help you because you are truly, you aren't biased by your own personal experience? Like in a way you kind of, uh, are able to be completely like, like unbiased or yeah, I'm curious to know how you think that. That's yeah. Like- people are often really surprised when they find out I don't have kids because I think a lot of people who come to this work come to it from this. Cause I used to train doulas and a lot of people were like, Oh my God, my first experience with a baby was so terrible. Like I didn't know anything. And I really just want to help other people like avoid that. 
And that wasn't, you know, my, how I came to this. Um, and yeah, I am, I am really unbiased. I don't have like, this is what my one kid did. I mean, some of the, the doulas that I've trained don't even know how to make a bottle of formula because they only ever breastfed their kids. So I'm like, how are you going to teach, you know, parents how to do this if you've never done it before? So you got to learn that, you know, you got to practice all these different things. You know, if you have one parenting philosophy, it's going to be really hard for you to meet, you know, a client who wants to do things a different way than you did. Um, so yeah, so definitely that unbiased also just for like my schedule. I mean, not having kids makes it so much easier. I love, I love all of the women that work for me, but the ones who don't have childcare issues are (laughs) definitely the easiest to schedule with clients and things like that. So it definitely gives me a lot more flexibility as well. But yeah, it's, it's almost the reverse. It's like sort of made it harder for me to imagine having my own kids because I know how hard it is. Can you talk Oh, sorry, I was curious. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'm, I'm curious if it has influenced your decision to want kids in the future, which I yeah, guess for it has. sure. I, well, I, you know, for a long time when I was like in my 20s, this was part of my whole like quitting my job thing. I was like looking to get married and have kids because I just wanted to be around babies and that was what I wanted. And it, you know, it didn't happen. And then I started doing this work and I started really seeing those like early days, like how difficult it is and how intense it is and how you really need, I mean, I have a lot of clients who've done it on their own, like God bless them. I couldn't like no way. Um, and it just really makes you see how much you, you have to be ready and, um, you know, your partner has to really step up and be present for you if you have one or your support system, whatever that looks like. So it has really made me much more aware of how much goes into it. So if I do, you know, decide to do it, it's definitely going to be with the right person and the right like mindset going in. And Sarah. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. What did you say, Angela? Oh, I was going to say, have you found yourself, I'm sure it's very difficult when you're in a situation in somebody's home where you can see their partner is not stepping up. Oh yeah. Um, what are, how, how do you deal with like the personal boundaries there as do like, how do you ever communicate that? Like when you see uh, a mom really struggling? Yeah, I have. I mean, a lot of the time they're bringing us in and they're paying us to be that support person. So you know, especially if we're there a lot, it's like, great. Like we don't need you to, you know, do a lot because we're here, but definitely the times I've had clients who do, you know, just like some daytime support. And then they tell me that the baby was up all night and the dad didn't help. I'm like, let's get him, you know, let's, let's get him in here. Let's talk to him. Let's see what we can do. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll show the dads like how to soothe the baby or some different things. Cause honestly, like we, we really, in the industry, we just have this joke that like, we really dislike a lot of the you know, the dad, the dad like dynamic out there, like just, okay, come on. Could you like maybe be a little better and like step up a little more? But I think in a lot of ways that just the way the whole structure and system is set up, it makes it so much harder for them. Like if the mom is breastfeeding, then, you know, there's not a lot they can do in those early days. And they've, you know, a lot of moms have never been around a baby before. Forget dads having ever held a baby. So then they feel uncomfortable. And then the mom kind of has to learn and she has all this pressure on her. So then she's kind of, you know, doesn't want help because she is afraid somebody else is going to do it wrong and not the way she would do it. And so it's Mm -hmm. this whole dynamic. So I really like to help both parents find their way to working together and making it work um, and, and giving some suggestions and advice and coaching around that for sure, just to make it easier for the whole family. One thing that my doctor did that I loved so much was she said, like Nick was with me at my, at my like postpartum visit. And she goes, you're recovering. She says it's like in front of Nick, which is like, (laughs) was helpful. She goes, you're recovering from surgery. Okay. And you're breastfeeding. So nobody else can feed your baby. You have to feed your baby, but everybody else can do everything else besides feed your baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So she said like in front of it, she's like, so you, you have to feed your baby. You're feeding your baby, but you're, you, you need to rest. You're recovering from surgery. So let everybody else do everything else. Okay. They can change the diapers. They can do the laundry. They can bring you food like they could do. And and like, I was like, are you listening to this? (laughs) So like, that was a good way to not make it like pointed at Nick, but to basically to be like, you can change every diaper, you know, like, like she's recovering from surgery and like has to feed the baby. So that was good. I mean, I'm lucky Nick is like very involved, but I do know, like you said, you know, it can feel really helpless for a husband who's like 
the baby just wants the boob. They want to be, you know, you're, you, but like they can do skin to skin. I got one of those big exercise balls and that really like soothes the baby. And so he, we call like, I don't even go on the ball. I'm like, if the baby needs to be on the ball to be soothed, like that's, it's the pop. That's ball. you. It's the yeah. papa ball. So like in that he's felt like ownership over that. And like now that, that the baby's taking bottles, now we like will switch off and like he'll do like a bottle sometimes and stuff. Um, I'm curious to know what the best and worst experience you've observed as a doula being in people's homes are. You don't have to name any names, but <laughs> um oh gosh, that's uh that's interesting. So okay, so I'll tell you one of my one of my favorite clients. We're still friends. I love them. Um, the dad, the mom was breastfeeding. Uh, her name is Kelly. I had to name her name because this is part of the story. She, the dad, his, his whole line, his whole mantra was, I don't eat until Kelly eats. So he wouldn't like sit there and eat if she was feeding the baby. And it became such a thing that he actually had a t-shirt made with like a picture of Kelly eating that said, I don't eat until Kelly eats. And you know, him like not choosing to like eat his food while she was nursing the baby made it easier for him to say, okay, like you're done. Let me take the baby or let me like feed you or let me make you a sandwich or something you can eat while you're nursing because I'm not going to eat until you've eaten. And that just helped him really remind himself to be helpful. And it was just, they're just like the sweetest couple. I love that. That's really cute. Um, So that was really cute. And then, oh, I mean the worst, there's, there's some, there's some bad stuff out there that I've seen, but um, one, I, you know, sometimes the dads aren't there a lot and then they come in and try to tell the moms like what to do or how to do things. Oof, that wow. makes me crazy. I'm like, Oof. she's here around the clock 24 seven and you're going to come in and micromanage instead of being helpful. Like that's not, that's not great. Um, and then I see a fair amount of, especially with sleep training clients who tend to be like older babies, they've been doing the parenting thing for a while. Um, they'll, you know, just fight in front of me, like, see, I told you we were supposed to do this or that. And it's freaked me out in the beginning, but I've gotten pretty good at shutting it down. Um, so, you yeah, know, they you both try everything. to like it's get like, me on their side. Yeah. When you're there like 12 hours, you're there like an overnight, like it's hard to. Yeah. And, and for sleep training, stuff. I go and stay with them for a while. So then I'm really seeing like the nitty gritty, like day in and day out. But there are some really great partners out there that really step up. And, and I love to see that. I want to talk about the importance of, of doulas because it can, I remember the first time I kind of brought it up before we, um, well, like a doula we had pretty easy, but like. The difference between like a night nurse and a postpartum doula and the training and like if you're new to this all, it's like hard to navigate like what do I need mm-hmm. and what's the different certifications and like and so I want to talk a little bit about like the the differences between all of them and then also the importance because some of this can feel like kind of a classist issue where like not everybody can afford this but you know studies have showed that doulas can potentially like reduce maternal uh mortality and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, there's been like a lot of articles recently about how a lot of like black mothers are turning to doulas to help fight the maternal mortality rate that like particularly affects certain communities and so can you talk a little bit about how that helps and why it helps and the and yeah, kind of all of that, just a little background. So that particular aspect has a lot more to do with like labor doulas and people who work with clients during the birth process, which we don't do, but there's plenty of people who do. Postpartum support, I think, is so critical in uh, reducing rates of maternal mental health issues like postpartum depression, anxiety. A lot of people don't even know that a postpartum mental health issue can manifest as anxiety. They're like, well, I'm not sad, so obviously I'm fine. I'm just worried because I'm a new mom, you know? And there's so much that can happen and there's such a gap in care for that. So, you know, we are really trained to spot those signs and you know, it's ironic because we're really good at working with moms who are dealing with that, parents who are dealing with that. But at the same time, like the amount of sleep and support they have when they're working with us also really reduces the likelihood that they're going to have those issues. So um, we will sometimes come in when, you know, people are really struggling, but, you know, a lot of the time people just don't end up in that pit of despair and sleep deprivation and nightmare because they have that, that help. So getting sleep is so critical. Just having someone to listen to you 
and tell you that the things you're thinking and feeling are normal and not judging you. Like not everybody is totally bonded to their baby and loves their baby the minute they're born. And I think you feel like a terrible person if you're like, wait a minute, what did I do? Was this the right decision? Like, but it's not, it's totally normal to feel that way. And when you have someone validating that, who's not your, you know, sister judging you or your mother-in-law telling you what it was like when she had a baby, it can just make such a difference in your success. So I think even having someone just for a little while in the beginning can be super, super helpful. Like you don't need somebody to live in with you for three months in order to get the benefits. There's no such thing as too much, of course. I mean, I've never had anybody like say, you know, actually we want less than we initially thought. Oh, but- I've already, uh, yeah, we're, we're like, we've gone for broke here. <laughs> we're just yeah. like, Sarah, <laughs> you're never leaving. You're yeah, never- so... Um, so even, you know, having some support in the beginning, but it's interesting that you mentioned it being a classist issue because in the beginning, when I started doing this work, I felt really guilty that I was mostly working with like successful professionals who could, you know, afford to pay me what I needed to get paid in order to feed myself and pay my rent. Um, and I was like, oh, there's all these like parents out there who, you know, young and single and they need support. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but I actually did some work with Medicaid in Philadelphia, working with like inner city, you know, young single moms. And they did not need me. Like they had their stuff together so much more than my lawyers and doctors and CEOs and executives. Why um, do you think that you know, is? Do you in think Manhattan. It's, do you think it's that like, these little, they like, yeah, I, I, I can't, I'm like trying to get like, why do you think that is? <laughs> I think it's a combination of factors. So first of all, they, a lot of them had a lot of family and community support around them that people who, you know, you move from your hometown in Iowa to New York city to get a job and your parents aren't here. You know, your family members aren't here the way they were for, um, these women in Philly. So that's definitely part of it. But then another part of it is that, you know, a lot of what makes you a person who's driven to be educated and successful is that like drive to do well. And, you know, you have like a stress level and an anxiety level about everything. So that, you know, you're, you're 19 years old and you're having a baby in Philly and you're just like, cool, I'm just going to have this baby and take care of it. And like other people in my life have had babies and they've been fine. But when you're somebody who's achieved so much in your life, you're like, okay, let me research what formula is going to get my baby into Harvard. And like every single thing seems like such a huge decision and really a lot of things. And Laura, I'm sure you can, you can relate to this. Uh, So many things that you stress about so much with babies are like not the things that are important, For not sure. the things that really 100%. matter. <laughs> it's a privilege to be able to spend it's, time thinking about those things exactly. and purchase all those things. And I think it's, yeah, it's societal. It's like what society tells one group of people to worry about versus what they tell another group of people to worry about, you know, like you're just going to For sure. priorities, whether I think both groups could probably benefit from the help, but one group is told, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't need the help. So yeah. I, I have a question. So you, we, we talked about this a little bit early, but you are currently, you're dating. You're out there, you're dating right now. How do men respond when you tell them what you do for a living? Do they assume you want to have babies the next day or? And do they know what it is right away? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, nobody really knows what it is. So I've, I've come up with, you know, different ways to describe it that sort of helps explain it to people. Um, And it's easier when I say, like, I have my own business and I run a team of people who go and help, you know, new parents. One thing that's funny to me is when I used to describe what I do and I would say, like, you know, I help moms who are – or parents, um, you know, with feeding and this different stuff. More than one person has thought that I was, like, a wet nurse and I, like, also breastfed the baby. I was like, no, no. (laughs) I just help them do it. Um, Which was pretty funny. But, you know, funny. You're like, yes, I'm just, like – I just lactate. Like, yes, that's like, my my career is as as is la- lactator. Yeah, you're like, do you know um, you you usually have to have a baby to lactate? I mean, not always. Yeah. Actually, it is possible. There's like, you know, if you right there's certain um if you're like adopting a child, there's uh I I learned about this in my like what to expect when you're expecting book. They like you can like stimulate the breasts. And yeah, like potentially some people... lactate and potentially lactate even if you have not had a baby. But anyways, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Google it if you're um, interested. So something that's been interesting to me when it comes to dating is that a big part of being a doula is being whoever your client needs you to be. 
So if she wants me to be someone who just listens to everything she says, shares her feelings, I'm like the best listener. If she wants me to, you know, make her tea and bring her snacks and do these things, like I'll do those things. I'm really good at going into a situation and sussing out what people, what will be most helpful in that situation and also leaving my own stuff at the door. You know, like if I'm dealing with a personal problem and I show up to a client, like that goes away. Like that is compartmentalized. It's put in the box. It's closed up. I am all about you. And what I realized was that I was doing that a lot in my dating life as well. And I was being this like great support person to everyone I was dating and then not expecting that in return or like sharing anything about myself. So everybody loved dating me and I found dating completely exhausting because I was basically doing my job. And then I was like, caretaker. Exactly. And then I was like, no, these people are not paying you. There is like a, you know, an energy exchange here. You're allowed to expect things in return. So I really had to like recalibrate what I expected from partners and what I was willing to do in return. And sometimes I would have to check myself, like, you are not this person's doula. Like, stop it. Like, (laughs) sometimes they can rub your feet. Like, that's nice too. Sometimes they can get you a snack. Like, that's nice too. I mean, that makes total sense. I think about like when I go to therapy and I always, you know, she'll be like, how are you? And I'll be like, good, how are you? And, you know, they never elaborate because it's like about you in that moment. And they're like not allowed to share, which always really annoyed me. Right. So I never (laughs) know how much to ask about like, how was your week? Because I don't want to like cross a boundary. I feel rude if I don't, rude if I do. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, and some clients, they want to know like about my life and they want us to have like a, a, you know, friendship, but I'm not going to show up crying and say like, oh, I'm so upset because of this thing that happened with a client or like, I'm going to, you know, tell them what they, you know, the amount that they want to hear and not really put responsibility on them for my stuff. But yeah, I, I also try not to keep it totally. Like there's some people in the industry who are like, I never take anything my clients offer. Like I don't let them feed me. I don't let them like give me water. I should take care of that all myself. I'm like, that sometimes makes people really uncomfortable when you're in their home and you won't let them like, please eat my food. Like you got to try this like new gem almond butter that I got. Like, please have some like of my, like, I wish, I wish like (laughs) they took more, like it would make me feel like it's like a little more like mutual or whatever. I mean, it's not mutual. You're paying someone, but yeah, Sarah's like my paid BFF because, but she's like cool. Like she recommends me books and like brings me books and like goes to all the cool restaurants and like exhibits and then tells me about them and then we'll go afterwards and she'll have like tipped me off on like, yeah, when you go to the botanical garden, like you know, this is where you eat and blah, blah, like whatever. She's just like the freaking best. I, yeah. um, so actually my, my I, business, I changed the name of it. It used to be called mama's best friend. And then I changed it two years friend. ago to be more <laughs> inclusive to like all genders, but and all types of parents, but I miss it because I liked having best friend in the name of it. Cause yeah. it really told like what we did. I know. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm like, I talk her head off too much and I'm like, "Mm, maybe she wants to like go lay down with the baby, but I just want to talk. Also, you know, I'm like post pandemic. I'm like, there's a human in my house. Talk to me. Um, all right. We are going to talk a lot more later on in the show about more of this. We're going to talk about babies. We're going to talk about baby sleep, but first we're going to take a quick sponsor break and then we're going to jump into our mailbox. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Care Of. All of Care Of's products are formulated with good-for-you clean ingredients that are backed by science. Care Of is super transparent about the research and sourcing behind each of their products. And we've been big fans of Care Of because they make it really, really easy to take the vitamins that you need. They come in daily individualized wrapped packets. And I love that when I'm traveling, which I'm going to do for the first time very soon. Uh, going to wow. California to see the fam. Gonna gonna grab my little packets of vitamins, and I love it at home. I don't need to open a bunch of different bottles. They make it simple. Yeah, I feel like when you're traveling, it's really easy to just be like, mm, "I'm gonna take a week off from taking my vitamins because it's just too much to remember." But with care of, you just throw the little packets in your suitcase and you don't think about it at all, which yeah. is great. I mean, otherwise you have to like what get one of those like little granny tablet thingies and like. Yeah, or carry like a giant canister of pills, which no, 
No. Too complicated. No. Too complicated. So do care up. They make it easy. Um, your recommendations come in daily, individually wrapped packets that are perfect for getting back into or starting a routine or traveling. Studies show it can take up to 30 days for you to see the benefits of a new supplement routine. So consistency is key. That's why it's important if you're traveling not to stop. Um, they have quick, reliable results thanks to the online quiz that you take. Carov's in-depth online quiz asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns to help address your specific wellness goals. And we're hooking it up, as always, for 50% off your first Care Of order. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code ThisIsWhy50. That's 50% off your first Care Of order. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code ThisIsWhy50. All right, Angela, what do we have in the mailbox that Devin's going to help us answer? All right. We have two great questions this week. Um, First one is from an anonymous listener, and they write, I have two girls and have always wanted to have a boy, but my husband says he does not want more kids. Should I try to convince him to to get on my page, or am I not respecting how he feels by wanting to convince him? Is it a recipe for disaster to go into having another baby when one partner isn't sure, or is this normal? What do what? you think, Devin? Yeah. Have you, have you, uh, have you like had so, any families where like the parents have not been on the same page about this? And like, I mean, I guess you're either coming into their life before they make this decision or, or after. Well, I, I actually do have a lot to say about this. Um, I think it's, it's interesting when you already have some children and you're thinking about another one. I've known quite a few couples who go into parenting from, to start with one person Usually the, you know, if it's a heterosexual couple, usually the mom saying, I want a baby. You don't have to do anything. I'll take all the responsibility. And then the baby comes and it's so much more responsibility than they expected and they want help. And the other parent's like, no, you said I didn't have to do anything. So also, I'm that's not insane. Going out. That's yeah. insane to be like, it's, I'm bringing a child into our lives. Like you are going to be the father. You don't have to do anything is like, that's insane. It's probably a bad sign if your partner is like, Okay. Okay. Cool. That's yeah. So, you know, but I don't blame people for being hesitant, especially if you've already had children. So I think it needs to be a real heart to heart conversation. I don't think it's a good idea to say, I'll take care of things on my own or you, you know, you don't have to be part of this. Like it definitely has to be a mutual decision. And actually the, the place I've come to for myself about having children is, I am not going to convince anyone to do it. And if I end up with someone who wants kids, they can convince me that they're going to be the partner that I need them to be. Um, I date both men and women, so we'll see what happens. But I that's that's my part, that's my stance. Like if someone can convince me that they're ready to have kids, then I'll do it. But I'm not interested in being the, you know, hundred percent or even seventy percent responsible person. I know we've moved on from the interview portion, but would somebody who doesn't want to have kids be a deal breaker for you? No, I I would be perfectly fine to not have kids. Um, I really want my sister to have kids. I think that would be the best situation <laughs> yeah, for me. Being an, being an aunt, like, yeah, being an yeah. aunt, yes, that would be the best. Um, I just see I just see how much your life changes and how much work it is. And I'm you know I'm almost forty. I'm kind of set in my ways. <laughs> I yeah. like to travel. Um, you know, so I would, I would absolutely do it and I would do it happily, but not alone and not with someone who's not going to be fully invested. Um, the guy I'm dating said one time that he's like, I really want to be a dad. And I said, I really want to be a dad too. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I want to be a dad too. Um, And I also think that that advice works for like this question because they need to be invested either way, whether it's the first baby or the third baby. So even if it takes a little convincing. Yeah. And I, w- I would want to know what his concerns are. You know, maybe there yeah. was something that could be resolved by, for instance, hiring someone to help or getting your family in or whatever. Like maybe, you know, she doesn't even know why he doesn't want to. So, you know, I think that that's something where you really have to dig into what the reasons are and not just say, well, I want it. Well, I don't. So we're just going to flip a coin. Yeah. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know. Uh, What else do we have in the mailbox? All right. Next, another anonymous listener, and they write, 
I know I want kids. I'm in my late 30s and I don't want to waste time talking to any guy who knows he doesn't want kids. Oh, relevant to what we were just talking about. Um, (laughs) At what point is it not weird to bring up the kids talk with a new guy? Honestly, I don't even want to waste going on a third date with somebody who doesn't want kids because I don't want to fall for somebody who has different life goals than me, but I'm worried I'd scare them away mentioning this on like date two. What do I do? I mean, I think by the time you're in your 30s, like people know what they want and people expect the people they're dating to know what they want. I mean, if you're like 22 and you're going on a date and you're like, I definitely want kids. I definitely want this and that. Like that's a little much. But for somebody at that age, like they're going to know if they want it or not. And honestly, anybody that's going to be scared off by you talking about your wants and needs and future without it being like a pressure thing. But anybody who's going to be scared off by that is not worth spending your time with anyway. So I say bring it up date two, date one. Like, why not? I Do you think that there's a, a preferred way to do it? Like, is there an organic way or are you in support of just being like directly, like bluntly, like, so kids, <laughs> right? Here's what I want. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, like how, at what point do you bring up whether you, well, I mean, I guess you, you kind of said you could go either way. Is that is that right? Like it's kind yeah. of the other person could convince you. So I guess when you're dating people, do have do you usually bring up like, you know, I'm not sure or I could go either way or have you found that either the guy or the woman that you're that you're dating, do they bring it up? And how does the conversation um, go? Well, I think, you know, it's a little different for me because as soon as I start talking about my job, people are like, how do you do that without kids? Do you want kids? Like, oh, you're going to be such a, you must, you're going to be such a great mom. Your job is like the ultimate icebreaker for this, yeah. com- this yes. like, topic for of this conversation. conversation. This, this that's, person, so that's like become a doula. The yeah. advice has become a doula. Well, I think something like, you know, if you want to bring it up organically, you could talk about children in your life, like your friend's kids. Oh, I saw my friend's kids this weekend and I just love playing with them and they're so great. And then maybe they'll bring it up on their own, you know, and they'll say, oh yeah, I love kids. Like my niece and nephew are so cool or whatever. And then it'll just roll into that naturally. I also don't think there's anything wrong with saying, listen, I'm in my late thirties. Like I'm not trying to waste time. I don't know where this relationship is going to go and I'm not trying to put any pressure on it. But if you don't want to end up in the same place than I do, then let's just not waste each other's time. Yeah, I like that. I would appreciate that if somebody said that to me. I agree. And I like the way you phrased it with like, I don't know where this is going. Like, I'm not even saying I want to have kids with you. I just like, (laughs) like if there's, if that's like not even on the table though, then like, I don't even want to fall for you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like for me if somebody said like their ultimate goal was to move back to Iowa where they're from, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I don't think this relationship is going to work out. I do not want to move to Iowa. That's a great analogy because it is similar in terms of like life goals, like like in terms of the importance of of what you want in your life. Um, well, we hope that's helpful. If any of you listeners want your questions answered, you can still DM us on Insta at this is why the pod or email us at contact at this is why the podcast.com. You can also find all of our contact info on our website at this is why the podcast.com. Next, we're going to talk about what's in the news. What have you been reading this week, Angela? So I was reading Forbes, actually, and they reported that there's a new study that has predicted a summer baby boom. This is by Grayson Dangor. So when the pandemic first started, there was a lot of chatter about like, oh, everybody's like home and with their partner with nothing else to do, there's going to be a baby boom. And then that initially was proven to not be true. People were just too anxious to be thinking about that. But um. So they're saying now, after months of declining births linked to early uncertain days of COVID, a new study is predicting a baby boom starting this summer and then lasting into the fall. Um, Probably worth noting that um, this study only looked at births at the University of Michigan Hospital and was not set up to be nationally representative. So can I just interject yeah. anecdotally that everyone in my industry is losing their effing minds right now with how many babies are being born and how many people need help. So yes, there is absolutely a baby boom going on right now and it is insane. I mean, we are <laughs> we are in the summer. They're saying summer into fall, things are not going to let up. 
So that's good to know because, yeah, I think that was one of the things was it was like this was only in Michigan and they didn't dig into demographic details. So like maybe it's just a Michigan thing. But sounding like everybody all over is having babies, um, researchers expect 10 to 15 percent more births to take place in the hospital system this summer and early fall compared to a normal year. Uh, that's interesting that you said that your industry's just going bananas. Uh, why? Why do you think that is? Uh, like, do you? Is it just like the pandemic baby happened? I mean, I had yeah. a, I had a pandemic baby, so I'm, <laughs> but I'm I'm only myself, so I'm curious to know like who's reaching out, like why did these? Well, one thing I've noticed very distinctly is that a lot of people are having their second much sooner after their first than I'm used to seeing. Like we're having clients we worked with a year ago call us back and say, having another one, like, you know, 18 months, like the the older one is 18 months, which is like a pretty small gap, sometimes even less. Um, And we don't typically see quite that close together. Like we definitely get people calling us back, but it's usually like two, three plus years later. So people are definitely having them closer together. Um, You know, a lot of people are saying that they, you know, didn't, weren't going anywhere. And once like Angela, you mentioned like that initial panic was over. People are like, you know what? We're stuck at home. Why not like get this done? (laughs) You know, have this baby. We're not making any travel plans or anything. So let's just do it. Uh, So I think that is a big part of it. Another uh, point that somebody brought up that I thought was interesting is that during like the quarantine and the shutdown, a lot of fertility clinics were closed and stopped a lot of procedures that people were doing. Yes. So then when that kicked back up, a lot of the people that would have gotten pregnant in March, April, May, June, whatever, were then like all trying to, you know, do it at the end of the summer and into the fall and things like that. So there was like a, there was like a pause in some of the births. Um, I think it'll be interesting to look back in a few years and just see the, the trend over the, wave. The, the couple of years following. Yeah. yeah. I also think like once things got a little more stable, everybody sort of panicked at this perceived lost year of their life. So anybody that had any kind of plan, they were like, I'm behind on my plan, even if you weren't necessarily. But I think, yeah, people just like snapped into action quicker than they would have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's been interesting. I mean, all I know is uh, my mom crew is rolling deep. <laughs> yes. Uh, you want to know what I've been reading? Yeah. I've been reading USA Today, all about Meet the New Gerber Baby. Uh, he's So Gerber does a big photo contest every year, and the winner is the new Gerber Baby. So this is a Florida infant named Zane Kahin. Uh, this is an article by... Sudikasha Kochi. So Gerber's 2021 baby is a Florida infant with an infectious laugh and a quote inspiring story. So his mother is a breast cancer survivor who was once unsure if she'd be able to conceive naturally after she'd undergone a double mastectomy, chemotherapy, and radiation. But to her doctor's surprise, she conceived her beautiful now four-month-old boy and he won the Gerber photo search search. So not only is he a little miracle baby, beautiful story, they've given him a fancy title of chief growing officer, very cute, and also chief taste tester. So Zane's job is to taste and review new baby food products. So that's <laughs> very fun because if anybody's seen a new baby try food, a lot of it is like them spitting it out. So I wonder if there's going to be any Gerber food at all this year if he's in charge of taste testing <laughs> all the food. <laughs> just kidding um so he's also going to be featured in the social media channels marketing campaigns um they won a $25,000 cash prize that's very nice and a, a few other things some Gerber products a wardrobe valued at a thousand dollars by Gerber children's wear didn't even know that Gerber was making clothing but apparently no. apparently they are um so the very first Gerber baby a little history for y'all was a contest they won a contest in 1928 and that baby's name was ann turner cook who is now 94 years old uh which is amazing and the identity was kept secret for 40 years until 1978 and now she is a mystery novelist and retired english teacher so some fun gerber baby baby facts for you interesting yeah i wonder if that's the baby that's in the little circle on the 
yeah, I think it is, on the do they, Berber do stuff. Do they update it now? Just like little Zane, is he going to be on the the packaging now? No, that's been I, the same baby for yeah, a long Yeah, that's been time. the yeah. same baby. I think he's just, they just say like social media channels and marketing campaigns. So okay. I don't think they're actually changing the packaging. I think that's sticking, sticking with Ann Turner Cook, little 94-year-old yeah. wow. Gerber baby. <laughs> Classic. Classic. But I bet she didn't get a wardrobe like no. Zane. No wardrobe. Yeah. The, uh, the Gerber clothes are not bad. The, the sleepers for a long time were like the only ones that had a zipper. Now a lot of the companies have have made them with zippers, which is so much better than like 800 little snaps that you have to match up in the dark in the middle of the night. So, Oh, my God. I I literally just don't even like put the baby in the ones with snaps. Like it's no – there's like no point. It's like are you nuts? And now they come with like there's (laughs) magnetic onesies and like – and there's the ones that are – what do you – like the gowns. The gowns are the ones that like don't have the the footsies. They're just like gowns, which are – those I recommend – when like real newborn stage because like when they're really a newborn you're like literally changing the diaper like every 10 minutes and so you really want the gown to just pull up as i'm sure Devin knows all right we're gonna pick Devin's brain a little more because it is time for our topic of the week this week's topic is surviving postpartum So I remember the first time I brought up having someone help us after having a baby and Nick thought I was nuts. He's like, we're having a baby. We're going to take care of the baby. What do you mean we're going to like have somebody like sleeping over taking care of our baby? And then you're a zombie. Your brain feels like it's decaying. And we hired somebody three weeks later for for Rilo. Um, This time I knew immediately that as soon as we got out of the hospital, I needed help. I was having surgery. I was like... I I don't want to go through, like you talked earlier about the anxiety. That was what I had. I had very bad postpartum anxiety. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know, we talked a bit before, but why do people need so much help surviving postpartum? And for people that can't afford services like yours, um, because I, I recognize that, that, you know, affording my goddess Sarah is a very privileged thing. <laughs> I'm curious to know what, what can people do to help their friends, help their family members survive postpartum and like do the things that a service like yours does that, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of us in the industry, you know, obviously really recognize that it is a privileged thing to be able to have this level of help. And we're also trying to, you know, change things from the inside out by, you know, just teaching people how to be better supportive friends and family members and things like that. And I think a big part of the reason people need so much help, as I mentioned earlier, when my mom said, like, my grandmother came over every day. We lived in the same town. She was over every day, like, you know, taking care of us, taking me out when my sister was born, like, taking me for overnights, like whatever. Um, you know, my mom said, she's like, whether I went to her, she came to me. The first thing she would say is like, go lie down and take a nap. <laughs> like, Give me the baby, go lie down and take a nap. So, you know, we don't have that family and community close by. And I'm not even talking about like prehistoric times when everybody lived in, you know, caves together or even, you know, tribal cultures that all live on top of each other and, and live together and support each other. I'm just talking about even, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago when you just had family closer by and, you know, people are having babies now when they're older. So maybe your parents are, you know, not physically capable of, of helping, or maybe they've, they've passed or whatever. So it's just not the same thing as, you know, the average age of a first time mom being like 22 years old and having her, you know, 40 something mom there to help her. Now you're becoming a mom for the first time at 30 or 40 something. So it's just such a different, um, it's just such a different dynamic. And also like, we're not like in, in our culture, particularly, we're not around babies. The number of clients I work with who have never seen a newborn or held a baby or touched a baby who have any idea what to do, like they, this is all just brand new to them. Like they say, I can't believe they let me leave the hospital. Like you were saying about your friends. Um, so we're, we're just very disconnected, I think from the process in a way that, it didn't used to be the case. Like maybe your, your mom would have kids after you and you would help take care of them or you're, you know, you were the youngest, but your oldest sister was having kids and then you were the auntie to them. And like, I think we're just lacking that experience and that awareness 
of what, you know, goes into any of it. And I think there was a definitely a period where people did not know that help and support was even available. So I really love that the industry is growing so much, not just obviously for my benefit, but for the benefit of the families that we all are serving and that just having that level of help is is so important. I also, I think a lot about how even people who have family around or friends or a tight community, they're not necessarily always getting the help that they need. They're getting the help that people want to give. Oh, um, totally. Like my when I was born, my mom lived with my grandma and she was around a lot, but my mom sometimes would hide from her with me because she'd be like, you're sure. not helping. Go away. So um, as somebody who has a lot of friends that are having babies, I'm curious, like, what do you think is the most helpful thing you can do for somebody that is that yeah. has been born? That's a great question. So uh, first of all, I just have to say that my best friend said once, she described my job so perfectly. She said, it's like having your mother and your sister there, but without having your mother and your sister there. Right. There's yes. no baggage. There's no no drama. No emotional No comment. emotional baggage. No. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You're a clean slate. <laughs> um, I think the best thing you can do, well, there's two things. Number one is just listen. Just like if somebody's asking for advice, give them advice. But a lot of the time they just want to share how they're feeling. They just want to say what they're thinking. They just want to, you know, and just be like a good listener. Don't be like, oh my gosh, like, what do you mean you don't love your baby immediately the second it's born? Like, how could you like quick call the police? Like, you know, just be a good listener, validate how they're feeling. Um, You know, don't feel like you have to jump in with like, well, with my baby, it was like this or whatever. And, you know, obviously that's a different experience when you don't have your own, but just, just ask how they're doing and like then be generally, genuinely interested in what they're saying. And then from a more practical standpoint, food and laundry, like just come over, bring food. Don't ask them what they want. I mean, if they'll tell you what they want, great. But if they say we're good, still bring them something, Yes, bring it over. If they say, no, we don't need any help start helping anyway, like unload the dishwasher, like do the dishwasher. Something. Yeah. Like I'm not going to say the dishwasher, like, the laundry, like anything. That is all great advice. Cause like as somebody that just had a baby, I'm not going to be like, be like, do you want food? I'd be like, yeah, Angela, like bring me a casserole. Like I'd be like, no, I can <laughs> right. like order on seamless. But like, if you brought me a casserole, like, thank you, I will eat that casserole, you know, like, right. yeah. like, to, to, like, like Devin said, just bring it. And then one thing is like, when you do come over, like, they'll be like, Oh, do you want anything to drink? You know, but like, be like, no, no, I will get it. Like, like be like, get handsy in someone else's kitchen in a way you maybe like wouldn't normally feel comfortable doing and just like get yourself that water. And also like I had friends, people come over and they just like left their cups everywhere. I'm like, great. Now I'm like, have a hand, a baby in one hand. I'm like taking your like dirty dishes and like cups that you left on my table. Now I got to put that away. Like put like, like, don't be the guest in their house, I guess. Like act yeah, like act right. like it's your house and just like start doing shit and putting shit away and like and like pretend it's your house and you're like cleaning up the house and like getting water for you and a water for them. And like that's just stuff I like never would have thought of. And I have like so many regrets of going over to my friends' houses that had babies and like just thinking about all the stuff I did that was so unhelpful and how I probably did like leave my dishes and like and just like brought them a guess like just things that I thought were like helpful that were totally not because you really you don't know until you like have kids or you have the experience like Devin where you are in somebody's home and you really have observed this yeah um and people have such a hard time asking for help so I just want to put out there to the people who are having the babies like do not be afraid to ask for help to tell people what to do but sometimes you don't even know what would be helpful you just know that like you can't you're not like it handling all. it well. Also, don't send flowers. Everybody sends new parents <laughs> flowers, which is so sweet. But then I get there and the flowers are like, you have to like change the water every couple of days. Oh my God. Days. New parents you. are not doing that. Thank That's you. That's something that I do when I go over there, but they're not doing that for themselves. Spend the same amount of money on some food and send that. Yes. Okay. I got, I had six <laughs> gorgeous bouquets of flowers. Don't get me wrong, but I look at the flowers. I'm like, this is work. I have to cut these every day and water them or I'm going to have like this like smelly, dead flowers on my table mm-hmm. and now and I've they're got dropping a, petals everywhere there's yeah. petals everywhere now I've got to like throw them I remember to throw them out dump the water clean the vase like I was like fucking these fucking flowers <laughs> even though like they were like 
they were really beautiful and like made me happy for like a day. And then I was like, okay, these are work. But like now I've got to like, yeah, exactly. But Devin's so nice. She'll, she'll like do the water for them. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you go to someone's house, change the water and all yeah, their flowers. Change the water and their flowers. Um, just, yeah, just do it. Devin, some people just like get babies and some people don't like some people speak the baby language is this learned and like what do babies need like what tips can you give people how do you have the secret baby language (laughs) um I think it comes from I've just it's just I've just always had an affinity for it and I'll tell you I love babies I love one-year-olds I love two three but like once they're like four, I'm a little less interested. I want them to go to school and talk about Legos with somebody else. Like, I don't want to play cars with you. You're very cute, but I'm not. That's not my age group. And I've come to realize that there's a lot of people who are just not baby people. And I think that's okay. And you don't have to have guilt about that if you want to have a lot of help when you have a baby. Or maybe your partner's more of a baby person. Or maybe your mom is a baby person. Like, my mom wasn't a baby person, but my grandma was. So she was there all the time. So, you know, just just don't feel like you have to become the expert in every age and stage of your child because it's it's impossible and nobody loves every single stage. So, um, and I think, like I said earlier, there's there's a lot that people stress about that you don't really need to stress about. So babies need actually very little. They need to be fed. They need to be held. They need sleep. They need a lot more sleep than people realize they need. And 99% of the time, if your baby is fed and they're still crying, they're tired. Yes. They're just tired. They're not bored. They don't need to be entertained. They need to go to sleep. One thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is like the hour, the 60 to 90 minute rule, the like hour to Mm -hmm. hour and a half rule, which was like mind blowing when like somebody told me that. I was like, wait, I didn't know that. Once your baby wakes up, you have an hour and a half to get them back to sleep. So they can only be up for an hour and a half or they will lose their mind and they're just overtired. And then and then it's like no man's land. So like you have to look every time your baby wakes up, it is your job to look at the clock and be like, I've got about 60 to 90 minutes and then this baby's got to go back to sleep. And it and it changes a bit. Like in the beginning, it's way less than that. Like the first few weeks. Oh, yeah. They're just in and like, out no time at all. And I like hate when I show up to an overnight and they're like, oh, she was so awake and alert all day. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm in for a night of a non-sleeping baby because the, the you know, sleep begets sleep. Do not keep them awake in order to get them to sleep better. And then, yeah, by like a few weeks, you hit that 60, 90 minutes. And then it's that for a while. It's that to like five or six months before they can really hang. So People just keep their babies awake way too long. So if you just remember that one thing, like they are probably tired at all times, that will go a really long way to helping you understand what your baby needs. Up a hundred percent. Yeah. And that is also as a friend visiting babies, I have learned never to plan on a long visit because yes. <laughs> the baby yes. inevitably will need to sleep within the hour. Yeah. But unless I'm you're there doing visit. some laundry or right. whatever, just get in and get out. Exactly. Um, so finally, you guys have mentioned sleep training a bit. Um, my Since I met my husband seven years ago, he has had terrible insomnia, averages about three hours a night. Now that we have friends having kids, they're like, oh, you just need a kid and you'll like, you'll nap with them or like, you'll be so exhausted. Um, I don't know about that. But can you, t- can you explain what is sleep training and how does it work? Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned you guys because a lot of times uh, parents and friends and grandparents will joke with me, ha ha, could you sleep train me? And I'm like, yeah, I can, but you won't like it. Um, <laughs> oh, can I apply the lessons that I'm learning right now? To my you can. Mind? And I actually, I actually have a video. I'll send you a link about how oh, to okay. sleep train yourself. Um, so much of what goes into, you know, it's called sleep training, which sounds sort of like dog training, which sounds terrible, but it's really like sleep teaching. We're helping babies learn how to fall asleep and how to stay asleep. And a big part of that is teaching the parents, like, what do they need? Like Laura mentioned, they should only be awake for X window of time. You know, they need, you know, the room to be pretty dark. They, you know, might need different like space. Like I've, I've gone to sleep train six-month-olds that are still sleeping in these like tiny bassinets. And I'm like, no, they want to be in a crib. They want room to like move around and like spread out or roll or do whatever. So 
Um, so much of it is just getting good at falling asleep on your own without anybody else, anybody else's intervention needed. So, you know, I say all the time, if like we don't sleep through the night, like I roll over, I flip my pillow over, sometimes I check the time, take a sip of water. Like I look at my Fitbit in the morning and I've woken up a dozen times throughout the night and I don't even remember the majority of them. But when I do, I don't have to call my mom and have her come over and like pat my back until I fall back asleep. (laughs) I can just fall asleep on my own and it's great. So that's such a big part of it. Um, And I think just culturally, we don't value sleep enough for adults. So I'm also on a crusade to get people sleeping more, sleeping better, because we love to tell people to exercise and to eat healthy. And nobody tells you to get more sleep. Like I would rather see somebody get eight hours a night than get up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym and the health benefits will show. It's so, so important. You'd rather have people sleep than go to the gym? Yes. I think that a lot of people are going to like that. Yeah. I mean, if the choice is like you get four hours of sleep, but then you work out for two hours, no. I've been doing that. I've been like, I've been so tired. I was like, I physically can't work out. I just need to sleep. But yeah, and I think you're right because I think if I was making the decision to be like, I got to do it. I got to do my like little weights. Like I would get sick. You know, I would get, I would actually get my immune system would be so low. So yeah, I guess when it comes down to it, you got to, you got to sleep. It's everything. It's your immune system. It's your brain. It's your, just your overall health. All that. I could talk about this all day. This could be a whole other interview is my, my crusade Mm -hmm. to get people to sleep more because we do not. So we need to. How does one sleep train a baby? Oh gosh. Well, (laughs) that is a pretty complicated question, but I would say what it boils down to is helping them learn how to fall asleep on their own. And then once they can do that, then when they wake up during the night and, and different things happen or they get disturbed, they're able to put themselves back to sleep instead of waking up a little bit and then having to be like, mom, come in here and rub my back, you know, in baby crying language. <laughs> come in like- here and rub my back until I fall back asleep. Or I can only fall asleep with a nipple in my mouth, so come put a nipple in my mouth so I can fall back to sleep. Do you so follow? Like self- oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, was, I just wanted to use a buzzword. Is that self-soothing? Is that what <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Well, right. self-soothing is, you know, being able to calm yourself down when you're like worked up. Ideally, once we get through the difficult part of the transition, the baby is not needing to self-soothe. They're just calm and happy in the crib until they do their thing they need to do to fall asleep and then they fall asleep. Do you follow any particular method? I was just listening to like a whole New Yorker piece about sleep training and there's like, you know, the Ferber, the... That's the only one I can remember. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot of different methods, and I've done them all in my career, like so many different things. And what I've really come to learn in doing this as long as I have, like over 12 years, that babies are really smart. And sometimes when we're trying to do something to help them, we end up getting in their way and making things more difficult for them. So I really want to set the stage for them. So, you know, people say like the cry it out method, which just sounds terrible. It sounds like we're poking them with sticks to make them cry so they have like a terrible time. I call mine the figure it out method where I'm helping them figure out what they need to do to fall asleep and I'm not getting in their way and I'm not letting my emotions about their emotions affect what I'm doing. So, you know, sometimes they're upset and that's okay. And I want to really listen for when is this just I'm pissed that this is different and when is this I'm truly in distress. And that's really hard to do as parents. I'm not saying it's like an easy thing, but when you are like, oh my gosh, I just need you to be happy. I just need you to be calm. Like it's going to be really hard to have any success. And you end up doing what I call the drag it out method where you confuse the baby and they cry forever and it takes forever because you're not um, actually helping them learn. You're just solving their problems for them. Uh, So it's really about, observing them, setting the stage, observing things like the the wake windows, making sure they're fed, that kind of stuff. But really at the end of the day, it comes down to behaviors. Like all the different sleep suits, people are like, I tried this, I tried that, I tried a teddy bear. You know, for an older kid, obviously you're not putting a teddy bear in a crib with a baby. You know, tried all these things and none of it worked. And I'm like, yes, because they don't know how to fall asleep on their own. But once they can fall asleep on their own, they won't, you won't need all these tools and crutches and, and different things. And that, and it's really, it's really a gift to give your baby to help them learn that because it's a skill. And if you don't have that skill, then you're not gonna, you know, be able to 
be able to do it on your own and it's going to suck. Absolutely. Well, great advice. Good luck to all your parents listening, which I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you're wondering about everything we talked about and sleep is, uh, sleep's important, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> says zombie Laura. All right. <laughs> that is it for this week's This Is Why podcast. Thank you so much, Devin, for coming on the show. Check out her company, happyfamilyafter.com. And you can also follow her on Instagram. Uh, her handle is Mama's Best Friend NJ. Nope, it's not. Oh, did you change it? No, it's at Happy Family After. Oh, it is. I must have yeah. been your Oh, one. sorry. I found like Mama's yeah. Best Friend New Jersey or NJ. No, oh, that's our old I, with the old business name. So we oh. have the new one now with the new name. Happy oh, good. After. Okay, yeah. Follow her at uh, Happily Family After, no. and it's happy. Happy. Family. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so tired. It's that um, whole fairy tale thing. That's because I haven't had Sarah for the last few nights, man. I'm so tired. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say why are you so tired, and then I remembered that Sarah got hurt. Oh Sarah, my gosh. Yeah, my beautiful Sarah goddess. She she broke her hand. Uh, so that's why I'm. I'm a little tired, but um Well, we'll we'll tag you when we post on Instagram yeah. and Any, then good, people good, good. won't even have to yeah. think about it. Where else yeah. should people find you? I'll let you say your own plugs so that I don't butcher um, them for our guests. No, no, that's audience. that's great. The website happyfamilyafter.com and uh Instagram at happyfamilyafter. I uh just started doing like some business posts and stuff, so I'd love to get more Instagram followers. So please go ahead and and if you have any questions, you can Message me there and I'll I'll answer them. So oh, that's so nice. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Plug for ourselves. Check out our book. This is why you're single. My new book, Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling, and other feminist fairy tales. They're available on Amazon, Barnes Noble. We encourage you to get them at your local indie bookstores. Part shop local. That's right. And also get hooked up with discounts from all of our sponsors for full list of our sponsors and the codes. You can check out our podcast page on thisiswhythepodcast.com. We are also on social, and sometimes we can't even remember our own handle, so that's why we <laughs> screw everybody else's. But uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Is Why The Pod. Uh, please like and subscribe on iTunes. And thank you for listening. Tune in next week for a whole new show. Bye. Bye. This is why, this is why, pop culture, politics, friendship, dating, work, parenting, news. This is why, the podcast. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>